Good to be back with you folks this morning. I appreciate not getting a phone call this week and saying, you know what, we're good. So that's always encouraging to uh, to me. Uh, this morning, what I want us to what I want us to, I want us to talk about. If I had a title um, sermons, well, I don't normally do that, but I want us to. Uh, we're we're going to focus on forgiveness, and so uh, the title of my sermon this morning is "In Him, in God, in Christ." I am forgiven. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writing that second letter to the, uh, the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So this morning, we're going to look at one of the greatest truths when it comes to being in Christ. One of the greatest truths that we can have that we can understand when it comes to being in Christ, but also at the same time, one of the most absolute, most difficult instructions given to followers of Jesus Christ. So often when we, when we think about being forgiven, when we think about Christians as a body of Christ, what it means when, when, when we, we realize and we read passage after passage after passage about forgiveness. We think, well, okay, my sins are forgiven and, and I'm saved and, and that's good and I like that. And, and, and we'll kind of give it one of those, well, well that's kind of that's cool approaches. And then we just kind of move on throughout the rest of our lives. Now, here's the thing. Normally, I, uh, I, I kind of give an introduction and all this stuff, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm not going to try to give you this big introduction and, and draw you in. I'm not going to build up to, to a dramatic crescendo and then drop some huge, new, great truth on you. Simply because the subject of forgiveness is multifaceted and, and and it's so critical that it has at times it has been abused and it's even been underexplained. There are some sitting in this room right now who have gone through things. You have experienced things that others cannot even come close to comprehending. And so this morning what I want to do, I want to let these simple powerful, faithful Word of God minister to our hearts. I want you to listen to and from the Word of God this morning as we, church, as we celebrate the fact that in Him we are forgiven. Now this first part, we're going to do, um, I have a tendency, I have a lot of tendencies. I'm going to share a lot of scripture with you out of the gate, okay? Now, I don't know if you've noticed this yet or not. I have a tend to be a touch excitable. And so whenever I start reading a lot of scripture, I start talking and reading really, 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 really fast. And um, so, but as we do that, I hope that you're encouraged just by the, I mean, just a fraction of what we're going to look at in scripture this morning. But I hope you're encouraged by the numerous times that we read about the forgiveness of God. Like in 1 John, if we, if we had to say, so number one, right, I am forgiven. In 1 John 1, 9, what does it say? If we confess our sins, he God, through Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So in Him, we are forgiven. In Him, we are clean before God. 
in, in the book of Acts, in Acts 3.19, uh, Luke, the writer, says, Repent therefore and be converted. Repent therefore and be converted. I love this. So that your sins may be blotted out. So that the time of refreshing may come, not from your situation, not from your friends, but that your time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So in Him, forgiveness of sin brings the refreshing presence of the Lord. Isaiah 1, 18, Come now therefore and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins, amen, be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be as wool. So in Him, my sin-stained life has been purified. And that crimson stain of sin has been washed away, thereby giving me the opportunity to stand before a holy God, white as snow, counted righteous. I am counted blameless. I am viewed as pure in the sight of God because God has forgiven me through Christ and my sins have been made clean. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, Paul says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So in him, I have received God's gracious redemption from the penalty of sin. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He delivered us from the power of darkness. God delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. In Him, in God, in Christ, I have been delivered from the power of darkness and brought into God's eternal family. My sins, your sins, Christian, have been forgiven, thus making us a full, bona fide member of the kingdom of God. Psalm 103, verse 11, For as the heavens are high above the earth... So is his mercy towards those who fear him. That word fear is important, isn't it? So many people out there want to want to assume that we serve this scary God. So many uh, 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 folks out there suffer under the bondage of a religious system with these just jerk gods out there. This fear that he's talking about is a reverential awe. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed his transgressions from us, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. In him, our sins have been forgiven. Amen. But listen. Not only have they been forgiven, what does Scripture say? They've been forgotten. God has shown pity. God has granted mercy. He has extended grace just as a loving Father. 
Because God knows that on my own, I am absolutely nothing. But praise his name, in him I am forgiven. The prophet Micah, in Micah chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. Micah says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever, but he, God, delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. In him, my iniquity, my sin has been parted. In him, God's anger towards my sin has been Assuaged. Why? Because God delights in mercy. God is full of compassion. His love towards us is never failing. May we desperately grasp and understand the depths of God's forgiveness this morning. And since we're on a roll, let me give you one more at least. Daniel chapter 9. The Lord, or excuse me, to, oh, this is good. To the Lord our God belongs forgiveness. Forgiveness is His, and it is His to give. He says, to the Lord our God belongs forgiveness, even though, the prophet says, we have rebelled against Him. So church, let me ask you this morning, how good is our God? He has declared me righteous. You, me, all of mankind. We were an enemy to God, and He made us his child. May we rejoice at the grace, at the mercy, and the forgiveness of God. I want you to do an exercise with me real quick. Not like a for real exercise. Everybody just got super nervous. Think about the absolute, and this is not, this is not confession time, okay? Think about the absolute worst thing in the world that you've ever done. I mean, that thing that if the person sitting beside you right now knew they would do one of two things, they would either move to the other side of the building or they would just go right straight out the back doors. Now consider this. When God looked upon that sin, I mean, God knew you were going to do it, right? He knows all things. He is all things. God looked at that sin and he said, you know what? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give my son for that. I will let him be mocked disrespected, tortured, and crucified in order to cover that sin. And that realization, church, it barely scratches the surface of the depths of God's forgiveness. So when you find yourself thinking, assuming that God hasn't done anything for me recently, remember that God gave His Son for our sins. When you find yourself complaining, when you find yourself, and we all do this, getting on to God. You ever done that? Don't, don't shake your head. Don't look around. But remember that it is through God's forgiveness that any of us get to be in His presence anyway, right? I mean, according to the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10... You know this verse well. Therefore, brethren, having boldness 
to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast. Let us dig our fingers in, grab onto it with zero desire to let it go. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Tim, why do you want me to do that? Because he who promised, the writer of Hebrews says, is faithful. In him you are Forgiven. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And it is only possible through the forgiveness of sin, which has been so graciously afforded to us through the only begotten Son of our Heavenly Father. In Romans chapter 3, we'll move on here in just a second. But in Romans chapter 3, we read, But now the righteousness of God, Apart from the law is revealed. Being witnesses by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who have believed. For there is no difference in any of us. Why is there no difference in any of us? For all have sinned, right? And fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness. That we, that He, excuse me, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So after everything we've read this morning, friend, you show me a Christian who is not encouraged by the word of God and I will show you a person who does not read the word of God. In him, you are forgiven. We must all rejoice in that truth. Even if you think there's absolutely nothing that you have to be thankful for, even if you think that there is nothing in your life to rejoice over, simply rejoice in the fact that your sins have been forgiven. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but through Jesus Christ we have been forgiven. You who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you, me, us, who are once enemies and alienated from the household of God because of our sin, all of us who deserved eternal death and eternal damnation, forever removed from the presence of a holy God, God says, you who have sinned are also being justified freely by the grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as the propitiation, as the payment, as the perfect atoning once and for all sacrifice by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So church, just in case any of us missed it, rejoice that in Christ we have been forgiven. 
That's a good word, isn't it? But not only have we been forgiven in Christ, we have the power to forgive others. Remember I said it's the single greatest truth, but it's also one of the most difficult truths tied there together. I believe that the single greatest struggle that many followers of Jesus Christ have is forgiveness. And so I want us to look at, look at that in two different ways. Kind of two different uh, paths to get there as far as forgiveness. And the first one's going to seem strange. Okay, the first one you're going to think, Tim, you have lost it. And I don't think I like what you're saying. But it's a reality. So number two, let's talk about forgiving God. Forgiving God. Now, we can make that a statement or we can make that a question like forgiving God or forgiving God? Which one is it? I mean, is this something that, that we can even talk about? There are some here today, there are folks all over our churches who need to ask for God's forgiveness because honestly, you haven't forgiven God. And now the only way that, the, the only place that that comes from is from the assumption that some way, somehow, God has let you down, right? And we all know people like that. We've all experienced times like that. But let me be extremely clear this morning. God has not mistreated any of us. God has done nothing wrong, therefore God does not need to be forgiven. But I want to read an excerpt from you by Benjamin Corey. Corey writes, God doesn't need my forgiveness. He hasn't done anything wrong. But the forgiveness is actually for me. It's my way of saying, I still love you. I am not bitter about this. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be resentful. Most of all, I don't want my relationship with God to become strained. I'm going to have hopes and dreams that God is going to fail to live up to. And when that happens, I'll be faced with the choice of forgiving God in order to live in freedom or allowing festering resentment to destroy our relationship. It's interesting, isn't it? So if God doesn't need to be forgiven for anything, then what that means, what's going on here is, is there are those times where you feel as though that God has kind of dealt you a dirty hand, right? God, is, God has kind of looked over you. He's dealt you a dirty hand. And so because of that, we're resentful. We're mad. We've got our feelings hurt towards God. But listen to me. Hear me so very closely. God's not the one in need of forgiveness. It is us. You ever ask somebody to forgive you of something and... And you know you really never did anything wrong? Like, don't you hate that? You, you, you felt that it was just silly to have to do it, but you did it anyway? Why? Because you wanted that relationship to be right. You want to go on with your life. You want to go on with that relationship. But listen, hear me again. God does not need to be forgiven. But you remember how you felt? You remember how you felt when you asked that person for forgiveness? Because here's the thing. The forgiveness wasn't the point. It was the reconciliation of the relationship. That was the point, right? So if God, if God went to the trouble 
of sending Jesus to forgive you of your sin. God went to the trouble of preparing a way for us to spend eternity with him. God went to the trouble of allowing Jesus to die. And at the moment of that death, the earthquake, the veil tore, and the pathway was made. If God went to all of that trouble, why would he all of a sudden turn around and mistreat you? But a lot of us have kind of felt like Moses. Y'all remember, I mean, obviously you remember Moses. You remember the story of, if you don't remember Moses, then get to know him. But have you ever felt like Moses in Numbers chapter 11? A perfect study of humanity is the exodus, right? Oh, we're in bondage, we're in slavery, we're in bondage, we're in slavery. God, hear our prayer, God, hear our prayer, God heard their prayer. And God, we don't like this. And this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. I don't lie. And now you brought us to the Red Sea. Now we're going to die. Oh, we need water. Oh, we need bread. Oh, I'm sick of bread. Oh, we need meat. Oh, it's God, it's too much meat. It's over and over and over and over. And, and there came a point in Numbers chapter 11, verse 15, where Moses, talking to God, expressing his frustration to God, and he just flat said, God, tell you what, here's the deal. If you are going to continue to treat me this way, then kill me here and now. If God, if I have truly found favor in your sight, kill me now and do not let me see my wretchedness. So church, before any of us, blame the one who is holy. Before any of us try to place blame on the one who is blameless, before any of us blame the one who can do no wrong, it's pretty important for us to do what I call a Psalm 139 inventory. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wickedness in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. You know, it would do us all a whole lot of good if we started our accusations in front of the mirror instead of in the throne room of God. A contributor, another contributor says, I like this. This is important. God is big enough to take your tantrums and your fits of anger. God is big enough to be forgiven, even though it's an attitude that doesn't quite fit our relationship with Him. Why is God big enough to do that? Because God desires reconciliation, doesn't He? Paul writing 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, he says, Now therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him, for God made him, God made Jesus. For he who made him, made Jesus, who knew no sin, he made him to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so Paul is speaking to those, those Corinthian folks, a lot of believers, but, but the majority of the crowd, they weren't believers in that time. But it's still a, a tremendous parallel today. As Christians, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a minister of the gospel, as a pastor, as one who is called to oversee a flock, to, to be an ambassador for Christ, 
like Paul. And, and, and by the by, you too have been called as ambassadors for Christ. And so it is fair for you too to, to encourage others to be reconciled with God. But here's the thing, guys. If you feel like you need to forgive God, then do it. Just do it. If you feel like God has let you down, tell Him about it. Because earlier in Psalm 139, we read, Oh Lord, you have searched me. And by your searching of me, God, you know me. You know my sitting down. You know my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Brothers, sisters in Christ, please listen. As an ambassador of Christ, as a fellow brother in Christ, I beg you, I plead with you. God already knows your heart. He knows if you are upset with Him or not. He knows your thoughts. Although God has done nothing wrong, God already knows that you feel as though you have been mistreated. So the Word of God says what? Tell Him about it. But don't tell God that, okay, God, I forgive you. No, no, no. Flip that thing around and say, God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. Confess to him that you've been hurt. Confess to him that you've been so disillusioned that you failed to take into consideration that God has already forgiven you. Yes, you're mad. Sure, you may be upset, but God has already forgiven that misplaced anger. He has covered the sin that we all hold of self-pity. God loves you. He has redeemed you. And if you think God for some way needs to be forgiven, then just Tell him, I urge you this morning, I beg you right now as your brother in Christ, tell God about it. Repent of it so that what? So that you can be reconciled back to him. God doesn't need your forgiveness, but you desperately need his redemption. You desperately need his restoration So free yourself from your anger towards God this morning. Be reconciled to God. Cry out to God. Tell Him your heart. And don't be held in the bondage of slavery and resentment towards God. Because if God, think about it, if God, can forgive your eternal sin, and if God can reconcile you to Himself, then God can take care of your anger. God can take care of your hurt, but according to the Word of God, He says, I can take care of it, I can remove it, I can forgive it, and I can forget it as far as the east is from the west. So I urge you, stop taking all of us. I'm, 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 I'm at the front of the class, okay? Stop taking the poison of self-loathing and begin to live in the freedom of God's merciful, gracious forgiveness. Friend, make it right today. So in Him, I'm forgiven. Number two, even though He doesn't need to be forgiven, forgive God, yeah. And then number three, in Him, and we've already hit on it, in Him... I have the power to forgive others. 
<laughs> and that's one of those, and all God's people said, oh, right? We have the power to forgive others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. This is interesting. Paul says, let no corrupt words, let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. But what is good and necessary for edication, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So I want us to I want us to consider this passage from a from a position from a place from a heart of unforgiveness, and that's really not that hard because we're good at that. Aren't we? I mean, we can be pretty good at, at, at being unforgiven. And, and I want to set this up. I'm going to use myself as an example. Let's say that something happened and and, and I hurt you. I did or said something that needed forgiveness, and maybe I have zero idea. Then I even did it. But at any rate, you, you were hurt. You were disappointed. Maybe you lost confidence and even some trust in me. Well, at that point, you have a choice to make, right? I mean, if you forgive me through Christ, story's over, we can move on, life's good, my bad, I'll try not to do it again. But if you don't, the story's just beginning. Stay with Ephesians chapter 4 right there. You see, if you don't forgive me, and you have this, this, this spirit of just angst and unforgiveness towards me, how likely then will you be able to keep corrupt words out of your mouth whenever I come up as the topic of conversation? If you have a spirit of unforgiveness towards me, how likely is it that you're going to be able to express the necessary words of edification as commanded in the Word of God towards me? Are the words that you are saying about me imparting grace to the hearers? Or are we grieving the Holy Spirit of God, who according to what we just read, who has sealed our eternal salvation? Are we grieving the Holy Spirit of God because of our less than edifying words? And then Paul gives us a progression. Paul's good. He shows us what happens. He says, a spirit of unforgiveness leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to wrath. And wrath finds its foundation in anger. Anger leads to clamoring. That's a fun word. Do we even know what that word means? A quick study, word study says, this is is tremendous. Shrieking that is extremely boisterous, like a wounded person emitting un earthly and non-human types of sounds. Now, if that doesn't sound like the most Christian-y thing you've ever heard, I don't know what does. But boy, a hurt person will do what? They will shriek, they will fuss, they will make all kinds of racket. Other translations, English translations of Scripture, use the term brawling. But what happens is that clamoring will take root. And it will manifest itself in the form of evil speaking. And all of that is done in malice, which is to be understood 
as an underlying wretched evil. We've all probably said less than edifying things about somebody else this week, right? And we say, well, we'll make an excuse for it or whatever. But when you put it in this context and you realize that those things that we said were an underlying wretched evil, well, that gets some weight to it, doesn't it? Does any of that sound like Galatians 5, 22 and 23? But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Do any of the things that Paul says right here in Ephesians chapter 4, clamoring, evil speaking, bitterness, wrath, does that sound like it should be present in one who has been made a new creation in Christ? Do corrupt words, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking sound more like Jesus? Or do they sound more like Satan? So what's the answer? I mean, obviously, none of us want to display the characteristics of Satan, right? I mean, we can agree on that. Amen, Brother Ben. So what's the answer? What do we do? Well, first, Paul tells us, be kind to one another. Furnish what is suitable. Furnish what is useful. A spirit of unforgiveness is not suitable, nor is it useful to your fellow brother or sister in Christ. Now, I'm fully aware of the responses that are out there. You say, well, I really don't care if my attitude is suitable to them or not. They don't deserve my effort. Christian, hear this with love and hear this based on the authority of the Word of God. If that's your attitude, then hear me then know that you are being useful. You are being suitable. That spirit of unforgiveness will bring division in the church. It will bring division in the body of Christ. And you place yourself in a position of being useful and suitable to Satan. Well, Tim, that's a little much. A little tough, a little harsh. No, it's not. It's directly from the Word of God. It's the truth. Because if we're not actively working to unite the body of Christ, if we're not actively, passionately pursuing the unity of the spirit of truth and the bond of peace, then maybe, even not maybe, unknowingly, we are being used to bring dissension and division within the body of Christ. And it simply starts with being kind. It's pretty easy. One of the greatest ways that we can show kindness and the kindness that comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is to forgive others. The second thing Paul says is to be tender-hearted. Tender-hearted is defined as a gut-level sympathy, gut-level compassion. But let's say you're right. Let's say that, that, that maybe they don't deserve your forgiveness. Maybe you can even justify your unforgiving spirit. 
But how much more then? How much more sympathetic? How much more compassionate is it when you're tenderhearted and forgiving towards them? Extend the same gracious forgiveness to them that we expect, demand, and require for others to extend towards us. Paul says be tenderhearted. Have a gut level sympathy. Have a gut level compassion for those who have hurt you. And remember that it was the tender hearted Jesus who extended gut level sympathy and compassion to you and to me when he gave his life on the cross. So what's the first step towards it? Forgiving one another. That's not easy, is it? Is forgiveness ever easy? I mean, just be, be honest. It's not, is it? It's not easy. There's times when forgiveness is painful. There's times when forgiveness, true forgiveness, is costly because you've got to lay part of you down. But is that not exactly what God did to forgive us? He laid himself down. Jesus endured the cross. He despised the shame. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are also surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before... Do you hear that? For the joy that was set before him, he eagerly looked to the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And because of that, he has sat down at the right hand of God. The only time that you sit down in an event like this is because the work is finished. Friend, God allowed it. Jesus endured it for the joy that was set before him. Why? Because God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And his love runs so deep in that. For God to have a relationship with you, he had to forgive you. God sacrificed His Son so that you and I and all who would place our faith in Christ could be forgiven. So when you think about that person who has hurt you, take the attitude of Jesus while He hung on the cross. What did He say? Father, do what? Punish them. Cast them into utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. No, He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Or maybe even go to this length, church. This isn't fun at all. Father, forgive them even though they know exactly what they do. But here's the reality that we must all face when it comes to forgiving others. Are are any of us willing to tell God, who did all of this that we've talked about this morning, who sent His only begotten Son so that you could be forgiven, are you willing to tell God that you can't forgive someone who hurt your feelings Are you willing to tell God, you know what, God, I can't get over that because they got the attention that I wanted for myself. Are you honestly going to tell God, the one who gave his only begotten son, are you going to tell him that you just can't bring yourself to forgive that brother or sister? I'm not even talking about lost people. 
talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you willing to tell God, you know what, God? We've done a lot together. We've hung out together, God. It's been pretty good. But I'm putting my foot down right here, and I refuse to be tenderhearted towards that person. Then, friend, you, under no, under no circumstances... truly understand the forgiveness of God. No matter what they do, no matter what God's Word says, I will not forgive. Yeah, I get that, that Jesus forgave me and I've done some pretty trashy stuff. But, but not this time. I just can't do it. Now, I'm not saying stay in a, in a toxic friendship. I'm not saying stay in an abusive relationship. I'm not, I'm not saying in, that you stay in some unhealthy, not God-honoring kind of situation. I'm not asking you to stay in an unhealthy work environment because we all have to set boundaries, but none of us have the right to harbor an unforgiving spirit towards anyone, especially a brother or sister in Christ. Let me quote Benjamin Corey one more time. Every relationship, listen so closely, I'll try to read slow. Every relationship benefits from free-flowing, gratuitous forgiveness. And our relationships with God are no different. Listen. Often our hesitancy to forgive people is because of our misconception that forgiveness is something designed to benefit the offender when in reality... Forgiveness is designed to heal the one who was wounded. When we forgive someone, Corey says, we are not endorsing what happened. We are not saying we agree with it and that it was acceptable. We are just saying that we are not willing to be bitter. When we forgive, we are pronouncing that we will insist on living in freedom instead of emotional bondage. So when you truly begin to forgive, it demonstrates that you've got somewhat of a grasp on what it means to have been forgiven. Feels good, doesn't it? When you do something dumb and you just put your foot in your mouth or you make a boneheaded mistake and you ask somebody to forgive you and they love you enough to be like, it's all good, I get it, I understand. Yeah, absolutely, I forgive you, I love you. Feels good, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Why sometimes does that feel better than when we think about the fact that God has forgiven us of our sin and given us eternal life in heaven through Him? We, we, do we cherish the forgiveness of others when we've done something dumb more than we cherish the forgiveness of God who didn't have to do any of it? But because of His great love for us? Friend, if you've been forgiven, then you have the power to forgive. So the question is, are you willing to forgive or are you going to continue to suffer in a spirit of unforgiveness? Because we can all live the words of Paul in Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another. You know what kindness costs? Nothing. Doesn't cost us a thing. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Just as even God in Christ Jesus forgave you. In Him, I am forgiven. God does not need my forgiveness. God has not hoodooed me. God has not hung me out. In Him, 
I have the power to forgive others. We can do every bit of this, not because of anything we are, but because of everything that He is. If we truly have the Holy Spirit living in us, then those, that fruit of the Spirit, it's in us. The question is, are we willing to activate it? I'm going to pray, and I want to give us just a second. We don't have to have any music or anything like that. I'm just going to pray. Um, and I just want us to, and let's just take some time. And let's allow the Holy Spirit to work with us. Father, we love you. God, we truly have been forgiven. Boy, a lot of times we don't act like it. God, I know there are times in my life where, where I've, I've, I've just not really paid attention to the depths that you went to forgive me. Like, hey, I'm saved. I, I did the thing, and that's cool, and I'm going to go to heaven one of these days. Thanks, God. High five. Good day. God, forgive me of that. Father, there are times I'm mad at you. And I felt like you've done, you've kinda, you've done me wrong. And I love what, what, what Corey says there is, you didn't live up to the expectations. God, it's not your job to live up to my expectations. It's my job to live up to what it means to be called a son of God. A child of God. And Father, I pray that you help all of us forgive others just as you have forgiven us. Let us be kind. Let us be tender-hearted. Let us have a spirit of forgiveness. Because God, if we're not willing to forgive others, then we truly don't want it, know what it means to be forgiven in the first place. So Father, in the, in the quiet of these next just, just seconds here, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will remind us, will show us, will encourage us, and will strengthen us in your word. We ask in the name of Jesus. God, again, you are good, and we thank you for your goodness. Father, I pray that that person maybe that you've placed on our minds that, that we need to forgive, that, that we make that right this week. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your forgiveness, and I pray that we don't take it for granted. God, you're good. You're worthy, and we thank you. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I appreciate you guys letting me...